1: The Leviathan Chronicles, an audio adventure. The story thus far. McAllen and Tully are inside Leviathan, but not everyone escaped unscathed. While deactivating the rogue Starstone, a small part of the deadly signal it was emitting leaked out and incapacitated Anton. With his vital signs failing, Harlequin suggested that they descend into the city of Leviathan in hopes that Anton could receive the medical attention he needs. To her amazement, McAllen discovers that Leviathan is actually a colossal cathedral built into the bottom of the Mariana Trench Wall. Harlequin, McAllen, and Tully bring Anton inside the main chamber and confront Evangeline, the Queen of All Immortals. Much to their surprise, Evangeline welcomes McAllen into her hidden world. But when she sees Anton's body, Evangeline becomes furious that she is being asked to help one of the chief members of the Rebellion, who caused the death of thousands of Immortals within Leviathan during their exodus. Meanwhile, on the other side of the globe, a game of cat and mouse is being played in a race to get to Tibet. Oberlin, Saint Clair, and Miley have stolen the secret briefcase from the Black Door Group. While en route to Lhasa, the capital of Tibet, they discover that the briefcase is actually a communications device that has allowed them to contact two mysterious individuals who claim to be held prisoner in Leviathan. What they don't know yet is that Whit Roberts has also boarded the train by the cover of night and is stalking Oberlin and Miley. And now, Chapter 22, City Life. The rising sun shimmered across the surface of the Philippine Sea. The crystal blue ocean was placid and small schools of flying fish skimmed off the sea flashing their silvery wings. To a sailor drifting by, there was no evidence that below him lay the deepest point on Earth. That if Mount Everest was dropped into this severe gash in the Earth's mantle, over 6,000 feet of water would still remain on top. That sunlight could only penetrate less than 3% of the way down. That more men had walked on the surface of the moon than descended into the extreme depths that lay below. But 35,000 feet underwater, a giant cathedral stood, carved into the mountains that surrounded it. The enormous church stood as a gateway to a sprawling community of immortals that lay just beyond its giant wooden doors. The church itself had over 50 levels, but on one level in particular, the Vanderbilt level, two lovers lay entwined in one another's arms. They slept soundly, not noticing the first trace of morning light that peeked through the small gap in the curtains. The warm rays of dawn landed softly on Macallan Orsall's cheek, causing her to stretch languorously and face her lover.
2: Mm.
3: Good morning.
2: Mm. Good morning.
1: Did you sleep well?
2: Um, what sleep?
3: Cute. You know, if you really want to... Oh my god, Tully. Look out the window. Look at the morning sky. It's beautiful. The sun is just starting to rise in the distance. See all that deep blue and gold at the far end over there, but over here... There's just the palest remnants of blue and blinking stars.
2: How can we see stars underwater? The whole thing is a giant fake. That doesn't make it any less beautiful. Nothing that's fake can possess real beauty. Breasts? I can see the point. I don't care if it's an illusion.
3: I still want to be part of it. The sky keeps shifting and changing. It's It literally gets more beautiful every second.
2: Look. I'll give you that it's beautiful, but- but just don't go staring at it too long. It might be some sort of hypno-subliminal weapon thing (sighs) that they- Jeez,
3: Tully, you never know when to- Hey, Tully, look at the people starting to walk around Leviathan. It's dawn and they're all coming outside. My god, there must be hundreds of them. They each look so... different. There's a man wearing a civil war uniform, and that woman there looks like some sort of flapper from the 20s. Man, I love her dress. I want to go down there. I want to go down there and meet some of the other Immortals. I want to learn their stories, how they got here, why they were chosen, how they dealt with- Do you with. ever
2: rest? I'm serious. Do you ever-
3: Really? Come on! Look at where we are! You've seen that... that village down there? It's filled with people from every era in human history. They all came here for a reason. A common vision that somehow was able to transcend the centuries that separated all of them.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we talked about this. We're not here to do a book report. We're supposed to be figuring out our exit strategy.
3: No, Tully. You were thinking about an exit strategy. I'm still fascinated by what's been created here. Nobody on Earth knows about this place, Tully. Doesn't that amaze you? I
2: call bullshit. I think our friends at the Black Door Group know about this place. They helped rig up the Hai Ten Chi with that star stone that went crazy and started killing your people. I bet whatever I got left in this world that they have a pretty good idea about this place.
3: Alright, that's a fair point, Tully. I sort of forgot about the Black Door Group. But help me out with this. Anton said a group of Chinese scientists hired Nankatsu Industries to build the Hai Ten Chi. And then right before it launched, Black Door was allowed on board to make some last-minute modifications.
2: Right. Black Door must be using Nankatsu as some sort of front. Whatever they did, Blackdoor didn't want the Starstone delivered all the way to Leviathan. They didn't want the Immortals to be able to commune with it, so they made something bad happen along the way.
3: No, but that doesn't entirely make sense. I mean, if they didn't want the Star Stone to get to Leviathan, if they wanted somehow to starve the Immortals by not giving them the energy source they need, then why didn't they just steal it back in Qingdao? They could've just grabbed the Star Stone before it launched, or hijacked the Hai Ten en route to Leviathan.
2: That's right. But the Star Stone was turned into a weapon somewhere along the way. It changed somewhere en route to Leviathan. It was the source of that deadly signal, right? So if Black Door was controlling the Star Stone, why did they bother allowing it to get loaded on the high 10 shi? Why didn't they just activate the signal back in China?
3: Because they didn't. For some reason, they wanted that Star Stone exactly where it was. Close to Leviathan, but not inside of it. Why, Tully?
2: Why? I don't know, but I have a strange feeling we're gonna find out soon.
4: <gasps> Good morning to the both of you. Forgive my intrusion, but Evangeline would like the pleasure of McAllen's company in her office in approximately 30 minutes.
3: Thank you, Benu I'll be there.
4: I'll send someone to escort you. Hey, um, what about me? I fail to discern the question. What about you, Mr.
2: Tully? What should I do? I mean, you feel like grabbing some breakfast with me, Mr. Bennu? Maybe grab some flapjacks No, or...
4: I distinctly do not, Mr. Tully.
1: Bennu exited the room abruptly, and shut the door behind him. That's weird.
4: Yeah, anybody running around in a white robe and hood
2: either thinks they're the Pope, or is a little fruity, if no, you know what I- No, no,
1: Tully, it's not that. It's, it's like he doesn't want
2: us here. No kidding. You think?
3: No, but I think Evangeline does. At least, I get the
2: feeling she wants me around. Great. But you
3: don't get it. Evangeline and Benu run Leviathan, yet they seem to be disagreeing about something. About us.
2: So big deal. People disagree about stuff all the time. No,
3: Tully. Something is going on here. Something inside Leviathan. I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it when I meet with Evangeline.
2: Hey, Nancy Drew, can you do me a favor while you're out there trying to solve the mystery of the old clock? What's that? Get somebody to send over some oatmeal or fried eggs or something. I'm really starving here.
5: Good morning, McCallum.
1: I trust you slept well? McCallum was led into a sizable but sparse chamber, located in the upper part of the church steeple. The room was dominated by the same semi-sphere desk that she saw in Senshin's office almost two weeks ago. Behind the desk where Evangeline sat was an enormous curved window that was perfectly black. Two ancient-looking stone benches each stood on opposite sides of the room. But other than that, nothing. Somehow, Evangeline's presence made the room seem less empty. McAllen thought of Sension's lushly appointed office in Sutton Manor and Sedgwick's ancient artifact-filled chambers in the Mumbai headquarters. Her office is so different from the other leaders.
3: Pretty sparse trappings for the leader of an immortal race. I think a thousand years of service would get you some shelves or trophy cases or something. Maybe Evangeline doesn't need trophies. Or maybe she doesn't want any reminders.
1: Evangeline was sipping a warm mug of Darjeeling tea while looking at a holographic computer monitor that hovered just above the surface of her desk. Evangeline looked up at Macallan and the computer monitor vanished.
3: Uh, I slept very well, thank you. Wait a second, you just said good morning. How do we know it's morning? I mean, I saw the sunrise over the village earlier, but but we're at the deepest point on the Earth's surface under seven miles of ocean. How can I be watching the sunrise? In fact, why is there even a sky? Why is there- These are
5: all excellent questions, (laughs) and probably exactly the very same questions I would ask if I were in your position. You remind me very much of myself, McCallan. I am you, remember? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that will take a little bit of getting used to. For me anyway. For both of us.
3: Speaking of getting used to things, what is the deal with the unbelievably beautiful sky that you have here? I mean, is it some sort of mirrored reflection of the sky above us? I almost cried when I saw the sunrise this morning.
5: Hmm. The morning light, yes. Well, it, in fact, all of the cavern lighting is generated by Luma flora. It's a spore-like fungus that contains bioluminescent properties that can be manipulated through exposure to high-pitched acoustic stimulation. Far too high for us to hear, but it's extremely sensitive to specific pitches. We cultivated it about 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 200 years ago, we can change the desired effect by modulating the frequency, thus evoking different colors and textures. We wanted the sky to remind our citizens of the beauty that lay above us all. We wanted the sky to be so exquisite that we would never miss home. You mean you wanted to? Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, I wanted to. Take a walk with me, McAllen. Of course. Evangeline gently took McAllen's hand, and the two of them exited the office and descended down a lift that felt smoother than any elevator McAllen had ever ridden.
3: May I ask you something? Certainly. Why doesn't your office look out onto the city or the sky? The view from my bedroom was amazing. I
5: would That's think that- Let's just say that I enjoy looking forward rather than looking backwards.
1: McAllen was confused by this statement, but decided to let the matter drop for now. The elevator lift descended for another sixty seconds, before softly slowing down at what appeared to be the ground level. Three guards stood just outside the elevator bay, staring back at the two women.
3: Why do you need guards
5: within your church? We didn't... used to.
1: McAllen stared back, not understanding. The Rebellion,
5: McAllen. The Rebellion, orchestrated by Sen Shun, changed things here in Leviathan. It was something of an awakening for me as well, watching our tiny little paradise lose its innocence. Did you know that in over 900 years, there was never a murder here, never a violent crime? It was almost a testament to the idea that man's fundamental nature is a good one, that violence is a direct result of want and greed and not inevitable, given the right circumstances. I tried so hard to make Leviathan the right circumstance. A cultured environment where greed or want was simply not necessary. It certainly appears that I was wrong.
1: The two of them walked forward and briefly paused by a computer panel ensconced into the stone of the cathedral. Evangeline waved her hand over the panel, and the two heavy doors that stood before them opened to reveal the cobblestone streets of Leviathan City. My god! Quite a sight, isn't it? The two of them stepped onto the streets of the city and were instantly enveloped in the stunning kaleidoscope of modern steel and carbon buildings, intertwined with low-mud adobe-style dwellings, stone castle turrets, and thatched roof houses. McKellen looked up at the cathedral behind her and saw its spires towering at least 60 or 70 stories above. The massive cavern that housed Leviathan City must have been at least double that in height, but it was hard to gauge because the brilliant sky obscured Macallan's depth perception. A single wide cobblestone street ran down the entire length of the city, with countless smaller arteries leading off it. But the city was distinctly three-dimensional, and had at least fifty levels of terrace platforms carved into the cavern walls. Like a sparkling moss, the buildings and structures blended into the cavern walls, and stretched upward almost halfway towards the artificial sky. Large flowing marble stairs, reminiscent of the Spanish steps in Rome, led to various levels and courtyards. But McAllen also noticed translucent lift tubes, racing people in large supply boxes up and down and across the city's span. As soon as McAllen and Evangeline walked more than a few steps down the central street, men and women of all nationalities and ages smiled and nodded deferentially to Evangeline. A few rushed over upon sight of her and began peppering her with questions and reports.
0: Is the signal
1: deactivated? Yes.
6: Did the Not shield
5: hold? It's no longer necessary, but we're keeping it up as a precaution. Did
6: you see the excavation report for the Southern Terminal Stratus.
5: Excellent work. I knew I could count on you and your oh, team. Did you get my husband's keyhole excursion request? All requests are being funneled through Viceroy Roy Bennu's department. I was hoping to discuss my latest report on covert Palestinian supply drops on the Syrian border. I've already forwarded the report to Gravlar's chief operative in Tel Aviv. It's
7: been a long time since we've seen you.
5: Regrettably, I've been occupied, but I hope to resume our state dinners next month. We've had
7: a breakthrough in the standing white particle field that I need to discuss with I'm you.
5: I'm very anxious to learn more. We'll need the power source for the Hayon project. It's wonderful to see you,
0: Mayor. You as
5: well. Please, everyone. I know you all have many questions, and I have asked my governance team to double shift in order to address all of your inquiries. I'm cautiously optimistic that one of the largest threats to our existence has been eliminated, and more information will be disseminated quickly. Now, please, you'll have to excuse me, but I'll be sending a holo-report to everyone this evening. I look forward to spending more time with all of you in the near future. Thank you for your patience.
1: Evangeline softly took McAllen's hand and quickly led her further down the main cobblestone street before they turned right onto one of the smaller alleyways. You're pretty popular. (laughs)
5: I'm sorry, McAllen. There's been a lot of anxiety here about the whole signal business. Word has leaked out of your presence here and that the signal threat has been neutralized. There are just a lot of questions and I've been... Well, I've been rather busy lately. It really wasn't
3: you, was it? I beg your pardon? The signal that was killing everyone. That really wasn't your doing.
5: Why would I create a weapon to destroy the very people I made immortal? Can I tell you something? Will you promise not to be upset with me? You have my word. You don't seem like a (laughs) madwoman. Well, you should see me in the morning. I thought it was morning. Well, I've already had my Darjeeling, so you're safe for now. I'm truly glad you like the sky, McCallan. It's one of the things that is very special about Leviathan.
3: This morning was the most beautiful dawn I've ever witnessed. It was utterly
5: spectacular. So you really just engineered these bacteria to duplicate the sky on the surface? In a way. But I really feel you should personally pass your compliments on to the people that created it. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're still thinking like a human, McAllen. We didn't want to replicate the sky. We wanted to improve upon it, make it better. In addition to their stunning colors, the luma flora emit a unique form of radiation that causes the body to produce higher doses of vitamin D, serotonin, and antioxidants than actual sunlight. In addition, we have the ability to manipulate its appearance with a much greater palette of colors than those available in nature. Think of it, Macallan. Think like an artist. What would it mean that instead of a canvas, I could give you the sky to paint with? To create a work of art that would span over a mile, and that every minute of every day, someone, if not thousands, would marvel at the painting you created? We happen to have just such a painter here, and he creates a new sky each day for us, so that no two sunrises are ever alike. Sounds like
3: an extraordinary artist.
5: He is. Would you care to meet him?
3: Yes,
1: yes, I actually would. Hmm. I thought you'd say that. Come. Evangelina McCallum walked further down one of the alleyways that terminated in a short set of downward steps, accented with wrought iron railings. The steps led down to an Italian villa that would have looked natural perched along the cliffs of the Amalfi Coast. They opened the front door to find an older man perched side saddle on a leather club chair. He was closely scrutinizing a sketch pad he held in his hand, and for an instant took no notice of the two women who had just walked into his house. Another set of stairs led downwards in the back of the room. Exquisite oil paintings covered almost every inch of the walls, leaving McCallum with the impression that she discovered an intimate museum, yet a strangely familiar one.
8: Evangelina, you come to my house. Fabuloso. Ah, this makes me very happy. Very happy. Your presence is a mystery. You know this, yes? You see it in the sky, no? And who is this beautiful creature that you bring with you?
5: Her name is Macallan Orsell, and I believe you painted her grandmother, Amelia, many, many years ago.
1: Macallan. May I please present Maestro Stefano Vibirucci? The man examined McCallan more closely. He appeared to be in the upper end of his fifties, but was still exceptionally handsome. His closely cropped hair was more salt than pepper, but there was a youthful spark in his eyes when he gazed at McCallan. He arose from his leather club chair and gracefully walked over to the two women. Like most of the immortals McCallan met, the maestro was tall and slender. He wore distressed khaki trousers and an easy linen shirt accented by a maroon silk scarf tied tightly around his neck. McCallan found her blushing as the handsome man gently took her right hand and brought it softly to his lips. It's very nice to meet you, sir.
8: Bellissima. It is true. I know that only such a beautiful girl could come from Evangelina. I see you with my eyes, yes? It is good you are here, McAllen. Yes, good. You are here with Familia.
5: Stefano is a master painter that I met in 1467 in Florence. The only way I could lure him away from the riches that the Medici family kept showering upon him was to offer him something that money could not
8: buy. Immortality. Bellissima, no. You look at me. You see an old man, yes?
3: No. I think you... Uh, (laughs)
8: Ah. I am an old man. Yes. It is true. Why do I want to live forever? In his body, eh? I live for Misiello, The sky. Here every day I'm allowed to paint my dream. And with brushes only the angels could have. I come here to Leviathan. Not to live forever. I come here to paint the sky. What artist could say no?
9: Well, I'd like to think that I might have
1: something to do with you hanging around here.
8: Ah, mi amore. Come here. Sit with me. Sit with me.
1: From behind the maestro walked a tall young girl up the stairs. She wore distressed black leather pants with deep scratches on all sides with a heavy studded turquoise cowboy belt. Her white ribbed tank top sported a Sex Pistols logo in the center and failed to entirely meet her waist. Her wrists were cluttered with chunky bracelets of leather, silver, and steel, and her tight-toned arms were adorned with sleeves of vibrant tattoos. But what McCallan noted most was the beautiful mohawk of light chestnut hair that the girls sported. Not spiky, like the hardcore punks of London. Rather, the young girl's mohawk was wider and softer with a vivid streak of purple in the front that hung down just below her right eye.
5: McCallan, I'd also like to introduce you to Lorelai, Stefano's assistant. His assistant? Lorelai is quite an accomplished artist in her own right Stefano designs the sky each day But Lorelai assembles the color scheme And manages the transition from dusk to day to twilight I think she does a marvelous job And cloud I get to make all the clouds. It's really nice to meet
3: you Same here So the two of you paint the sky together That's simply amazing
1: damn straight it is. Lorelai turned away from McAllen and nestled into Maestro Stefano's lap. She planted a feline kiss on his cheek before giving his earlobe <laughs> a playful bite.
8: Hey, 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 cuchola mia. Sometimes you are too fresh, eh? We have guests.
1: Ooh, esteemed guests.
8: Lorelai, why don't you give McAllen a tour of our little villa? Perhaps you could show her where you work. Where you work your genius into colors and shapes. Show her our magic.
9: With utter pleasure, my love. Come on, McAllen. Would you like to see the illustration
1: matrix? The what? Where we paint the sky. Of course I would. Please, lead the way." Lorelei sprang up from Stefano's lap and casually leapt down the stairs two at a time. McAllen quickly followed her and was led down to a chamber that was in stark contrast to the ornate room above. The lower room was dominated by a round stone table, six feet in diameter, with a clear LCD screen on its surface. Massive pipes and cables slithered across every inch of the wall and ceiling, only to terminate at the stone table. Above the surface of the table hovered a full-color three-dimensional hologram of the sky above Leviathan, complete with clouds and a rising sun. Lorelei casually walked by the table and dragged her finger across one of the clouds, causing it to swirl around her hand like cream inside of coffee. On the farthest wall was a massive monitor relaying live images of the sky from various locations on Earth. McCallum recognized some of the locations, like Dover, England, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Chamonix, France, and Morea and Marrakesh, but others like Ascension Island, Godtharb and Tashkent left her yearning for an atlas. The images were organized in a 10 by 10 grid, thus showing a hundred different images of the sky around the world in various stages. Actually, there were only 99. McAllen noticed in the lowest right-hand corner that one of the feeds was showing a music video of the Afghan wigs playing in the foundation room in Las Vegas. Lorelai guiltily ran over to the wall and tapped the screen with her finger, reverting the rock video over to the sun setting off the coast of Maui. Don't tell Stefano about that last
9: one. He thinks hard rock is heroin for the eardrums.
3: Forgive me for being forward, but
9: you certainly like your men a bit older. Oh, McAllen, that's so cute. Exactly how old do you think I am? (laughs) I... Obviously you... I'm 49 years old. I'm what you would call a big girl. And for the record, I don't have a daddy problem. No, no. I didn't mean... And while technically Stefano being 597 gives our relationship a certain May-December quality, I've always been of the opinion that girls are much more mature than boys. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, of course. But then... Then why... Why did I choose Stefano? Well, he's why I came here. The chance to work with him is what Evangeline used to lure me to Leviathan. Stefano came to Leviathan to paint the sky. I came to Leviathan to paint with a master. The chance of of a thousand lifetimes paint with one of the greatest artists of the Renaissance. To learn from him and have him instruct me? <laughs> the fallen in love bit was quite a surprise to both of us. You have to understand that neither one of us joined Evangeline because of the immortality. In fact, quite the opposite. I think if you gave either one of us the chance to do, just for a single day, what we get to do here every day, we both would have gladly cut our own moral lives short. He and I paint the sky! I'd have gladly traded years of life for this honor, for this chance to live my art, quite literally. How did you become such an amazing artist? Evangeline found me living on the streets of New York a day after my 17th birthday. I'd somehow escaped the wretched soul-suck of the infinitesimally small Southern Baptist town I was raised in. I hitchhiked out of Georgia and caught a greyhound in Charleston that got me as far as Manhattan. I was hanging out in Tompkins Square Park selling my art on a street corner with a bunch of the other folks. Hey,
3: I live right by there. Most
9: of them just wanted to get high or rebel against the closest authority that presented itself. But I wanted something different. I wanted to create art. Something bigger than my own self. I was working with junk that I found on the street. Anything I could get my hands on. I didn't care. I couldn't even afford good brushes, let alone paint and proper canvas. And now, Stefano and I work on the greatest canvas of all. Anyway, Evangeline saw some of the work I was selling and bought everything I had. She'd come back every week to the corner where I'd usually hang, and she'd check out whatever I was working on. Finally, I told her that I didn't have anything that week, that things had been a little rough recently. I remember being pretty hungry, and I guess I didn't look too good. Evangeline offered to take me to dinner. And you have to understand that Evangeline always dressed killer, so I figured she'd take me to some snooty place that everyone would stare at me like I was trash. Most people would always try to con me, guys mostly, but I I really trusted her. She didn't take me to some fancy restaurant like I expected. Instead, she took me to this cool little Burmese place and made me feel really comfortable. We talked for hours, and I explained to her my vision of art and how colors need to speak to something primal timeless inside all of us by the time we shut down the place she offered to become my patron I didn't even know what that meant but a week later she bought me a loft in Tribeca and provided me with a monthly stipend to continue my work Tribeca seems a long way from Leviathan Hmm. not as far as you might think it was really just a painting away a painting I'll be straight my stuff was good very good but it was chaotic unfocused just raw energy reaching out to grab anybody's heart that came too close So one day, I had a dream about a young girl entering an ancient house. Inside, the house was decrepit and decayed, but wherever the girl ran her finger over the grimy walls, beautiful bright flowers would erupt from the surface. But the problem was that with each flower that bloomed, a little piece of the girl disappeared, until soon the house had become an exotic lush garden. But the young girl had faded into just a shallow silhouette of herself, unable to enjoy it or smell any of the flowers. So I woke up and I ran to my easel to depict that girl inside the house, willing to lose herself to the beauty of the flower she gave birth to. The next morning, Evangeline saw that painting and stared at it for over half an hour. She didn't move once, and to be honest, I was sort of getting freaked out. Then she walked over to me, grabbed both my hands, and asked me if I wanted to paint with a master, a true master. (laughs) Well, the rest, as they say is history. My god, I envy your life. Well, you shouldn't. I mean, it's yours now as well. What do you mean? You're a scientist, am I right? That's what I've heard. Well, yeah, but how did you You can do anything you want here, McCallan. This is your world now, too. Pursue your passion to its fullest. You can even What the hell was that? I don't know. We should go back upstairs.
1: Lorelei and McCallan quickly ascended the stairs to the parlor room and saw two guards dressed in dark grey uniforms whispering urgently in Evangeline's ear. It's
5: soon. How long? And you're certain the incursion was internal? McCallan, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to cut our walk short today. There's so much more I'd like to show you, but unfortunately, we'll have to wait until tomorrow. Please feel free to explore Leviathan on your own. I think you'll find yourself quite welcome here.
1: Um, sure, but is everything... Yes,
5: McAllen. everything is fine.
1: Evangeline swiftly turned and exited Stefano's residence, making her way to one of the narrow, translucent lift tubes that ascended to the upper levels of the Leviathan Cavern. <laughs> Most of the structures on the lower level of Leviathan were a fascinating mishmash of different housing styles from different periods in human history. A Mongolian yurt abutted a rustic terracotta villa, which was next to a Shinto temple that neighbored a Frank Lloyd Wright-style minimalist dwelling. But as one ascended higher in the cavern, the primary structures became distinctly modern-looking. Large panes of green glass stretched out in the middle of thick, featureless terraces that were integrated into the rock. Evangeline's lift was whisking her to one of the dedicated war rooms she had set up after the rebellion. The war room overlooked all of Leviathan City, and was often used as a communications pulpit when she needed to address all of the citizens simultaneously. It was different than her office, in that it accommodated over 35 people in a high-tech conference table, each for the various disciplines of science and art. It was in this room, 70 years ago, that the rebellion had begun. And despite the years that have passed, approaching the war room, never fail to fill Evangeline with a distinct sense of dread.
5: <sighs> Damn you, Harlequin.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe,
1: The Black Gulfstream G650 raced northward 300 miles off the Newfoundland coast. Inside the cabin, a demure Indian woman dressed in a multi-hued sari balanced a pair of beverages on a lavish terracotta platter, iced lemongrass mint tea for the boy, and Ron kappa XO rum with a squeeze of lime for the gentleman.
6: Thank you. Where are we heading? Tibet. Why are we going to Tibet? I said, why are we going to Tibet? find McCallum Orsel. I hope. Wait. You told me that you had sent her to London to recruit Harlequin. You said that together they were going to infiltrate Nankatsu's Advanced Materials Laboratory to try to find clues about the attack in Mumbai. How in the world can McCallan now be in Tibet?
10: I don't know. I don't know. But right before I... I shot Okora, she was speaking to the head of the Black Door Group. I heard him mention that his main operative was in Tibet trying to apprehend McCallan Orsel. I'm assuming that has to be what Roberts.
6: So that's where we're heading. Tibet. Yes. Tibet is a rather large place. Do we have a more specific destination?
10: Sadly, no. But I've been trying to think. Most entry and egress through Tibet would likely take place through its capital, Lhasa. That's where any black door operatives would have to marshal any supplies or meet any local contacts. We'll start there and investigate further when we're on the ground. I've asked Alexander to monitor high frequency communications in the area from his station in Amsterdam. Hopefully he'll find something. Wait,
6: Sension, I just thought of something. What exactly did you hear Black Door say in certain manner?
10: That they were going to nab McCallan in Tibet. No,
6: no, what were the exact words?
10: Why do you ask? Please, indulge me. Well, actually, if I recall, the exact words were that their top field agent was trying to gather the key to capturing McCallan Orsel.
6: Well, that's quite different, isn't it? What do you mean? Well, Black Door said Witch Roberts was in Tibet to try to gather the key to capturing Macallan, but not actually Macallan herself.
10: That means Macallan must still be alive. That's brilliant, Nathaniel. That means we're not too late. Too late for what? To save her. She's the hope of our rebellion. If we can get her back, then we can regain the ability to commune with Starstones.
6: Is that the only reason you want her back? I thought maybe her safety might have crossed your mind at some point. Nathaniel. This isn't about the rebellion. Just stop thinking of only yourself for once. Shut up,
10: Nathaniel. I feel responsible for the lives of everyone in the rebellion.
6: Macallan didn't choose to rebel you created her to serve your own ends
10: at least we know she's alive
6: but sentient if that's true then where on earth is McAllen also
10: I have no idea
5: What the hell is the meaning of this?
1: Evangeline walked into the war room to see two guards standing on either side of Harlequin. His hands were completely engulfed in two large metallic spheres that were connected by a heavy chain.
7: It would appear that a few of your pets seem to have decided that wake-up calls are best delivered at gunpoint.
4: Really, Evangeline.
5: I want answers.
4: The report is quite clear. The computer core that governs security over Leviathan's data files and access codes was breached over five hours ago. A powerful virus was introduced into the mainframe, and we have strong evidence that the intrusion is the handiwork of Mr. Harlequin. That's impossible.
5: I was with Harlequin five hours ago.
4: Understood, my lady. But the security breach was actually initiated by a type of time-release virus. The malevolent code sat dormant for some period of time before it activated itself to start hacking our systems. An obvious attempt to create an opportunity to establish an ironclad alibi such as... Being in your presence, he's probably working for Sension. For God's sake, he brought Anton here. Clearly, he's working for the Rebellion. Eve,
7: you can't seriously believe these accusations for a moment. Do you honestly think that I returned all the way to Leviathan in a stolen submarine, incapacitated Anton, and found your genetic twin just to be able to gain access to
4: some meaningless... He has evidence of Harlequin leaving your chamber sometime earlier in the evening, milady. Perhaps while you were sleeping? Of course, being the thief that he is, he deactivated all the video and Infrared surveillance that we have set up throughout Leviathan Cathedral, but it appears that he didn't realize that we routinely update our security protocols. You're such a fucking pig. The point Banu. He did, however, trip two laser wires that were stationed near one of the South Tower terminals. The lasers were able to get a lock on his DNA and verify his identity. As I said, the evidence is quite clear. Harlequin introduced a malevolent virus that is, as we speak, disabling our security protocols and wreaking havoc on our operational subsystems. This is
5: a lie.
7: This is an utter lie, fabricated and manufactured by a delusional... Harlequin,
5: did you leave my bedroom during the night?
7: This isn't what... Just...
5: Answer me, Hollaquin. Did you?
7: I did,
4: my love, but you must trust. Don't
5: speak to me of affection, and don't ever speak to me of trust!
4: They are
7: lying
4: to you. I hardly believe a mercenary thief should be the gold standard for truth-telling given the circumstances. Shut
7: up, Bennu. Every utterance that leaves your mouth is a self-serving lie. Your very existence is an exercise in duplicity.
4: Just
5: tell me this. Have we neutralized the threat to the mainframe?
4: No, ma'am. Right now, it's very difficult to get access to the core code level of our governing AI. The subsystem that governs security has increased its incursion threat level by over 600%, thereby undoing any repair sequences we try to introduce into the code. I
5: don't understand.
4: This isn't just just one discrete attack. It's continuing. Harlequin has introduced a virus into the system that isn't just designed to grant him access, but also slowly decay our defenses and destroy all the computerized operational functions of our mainframe. Goddess! Unless the virus is eliminated, our satellites in orbit could be cloaked. all of our bank accounts and data files could be hacked, even the pressure shield could fail, thus flooding Leviathan. Project Heon. I checked. Still encrypted, but it's not clear for how long.
5: Harlequin, I need to know. Did you do this, Eve. Please.
7: There are other forces at work here. If you would answer only... her
4: question, you spineless. Shut shinsome. up, you
7: impotent little worm! You never had any ability.
5: Holoquin, do not speak to Benu. Benu, that.
7: Benu. That's not even your real name, is it?
4: It is my name now. Benu.
7: What a poor attempt at humor. A phoenix rising out of what exactly? A pile of shit, no likely that wouldn't even.
5: Harlequin! Bennu is the viceroy of Leviathan, and you. Let's will... just call
7: him by his real name, shall My we? My name. is Your Bennu. name is Kriegerson. <laughs>
1: Harlequin lay on the floor, stunned. Blood dripped out of his mouth and he felt something hard and loose on his tongue. He spat out the tooth and shakily rose to his feet again. His legs felt uncertain and he tried to focus on one of the faces staring at him.
4: Don't you ever call me that again, you disgusting piece of filth. I was given a second chance at life. A chance to redeem myself for the sins I had committed. I have devoted my life to the Eden Initiative. All you have done today is further incriminate yourself, and I will see to it that every method of ripping the information to deactivate this virus is pursued in the most painful way possible. With Evangeline's permission, of course.
1: Evangeline stared at Harlequin.
7: You have it. Evangeline, this is madness. Don't let this fool manipulate you. You
1: can't... Ugh. The two guards that stood beside Harlequin grabbed his arms roughly and started to push him out of the room. Benu walked behind him, glowering.
7: Truly, Evangeline...
5: Sometimes I wonder where on earth you came from. Take him to the detention level and perform whatever interrogative methods you need to employ in order to stop the
4: virus. Evangeline! I assume I have your permission to be as invasive as necessary. You have it. Excellent. Come now, Harlequin. We're going to go downstairs and I'm going to show you my little toy collection. I have so many. The first is a blowtorch that also functions as an exceptional lie detector. Let's see if you can beat it.
7: Evangeline!
5: Voice identification, Leifric, Evangeline.
1: Evangeline entered her bedchamber and shut the door behind her. She stood still and took in the surroundings of her private chamber. She wanted to collapse on her bed, but her legs felt like stone and wouldn't obey her commands to move. She just stood there and looked at the immaculate space. It was a simple room, light and spacious. The walls and floor appeared to be constructed of a white Carrera marble, but in reality were created from an engineered coral polymer that contained faint swirls of azure blue and grey flecks. Her vanilla covered bed was larger than a standard king, but the low white headboard prevented it from appearing grandiose. A pressurized aquarium was built into the closest right wall and housed several lanternfish, as well as a small Dumbo octopus that always flushed into transparency at the sight of Evangeline. The largest feature of her room was a massive globe, over 6 feet in diameter, that sat half-recessed into the floor. There was little actual furniture aside from a workstation in the far corner, and a simple vanity to her left. She used to enjoy the sparseness of her room, the absence of possessions, and the clarity of mind it granted her. Now, it just felt empty. And alone. Her bed had been neatly made, leaving no evidence of the previous night. No evidence that Harlequin had walked back into Leviathan and provoked her to remember parts of herself that she had long forgotten. No clothes lying on the floor. No proof that he ever existed. But that's not true,
5: is it, Harlequin? You left a nasty little present inside our central computer systems. Why do you want to destroy Leviathan? Is this just another contract for you? Or is this something you're trying to do to me? What is your agenda this time?
1: She walked over to the aquarium and stared at the fish that blinked ruby and yellow flashes at her.
7: Truly, Evangeline, sometimes I wonder where on earth you, you came, came from. Arrogant bastard. He knows
5: exactly where I came from. And how hard it's been to reach this point. I've kept him employed. Allowed him to live lavishly. Never used the numerous opportunities I've had to eliminate him as a distraction. Why, Why did, you did you betray,
1: betray me, me Harlequin. Why now? Evangeline stepped around the massive sunken globe in the middle of her chamber, and sat at the small workstation in the far corner. She activated the holo screen where she expanded the view window in the lower right titled Heon Project. The small window grew to fill the entire holo screen. There, Evangeline could see a colossal structure that lay at a 45 degree angle, like a massive skyscraper that had partially fallen over. The enormous object was wider at its low end, and tapered substantially towards its top. The bottom of the object came together in a V-shape, like the hull of a ship, but the top of the structure seemed mostly flat. Large fins that resembled wings with rockets on their tips protruded at both ends of the assembly, but it was difficult to make out any greater detail because of the thousands of metal disks that were suspended by wires surrounding the device. Out of the bottom of each disc were four narrow metallic arms that were performing various welding, electrical and structural work on the behemoth. The entire scene reminded Evangeline of a swarm of bees scurrying to build their hive. The construction area was surrounded by an industrial terrace on all sides, where specialized workers in purple uniforms and helmets each directed several discs, thus allowing a hundred workers to accomplish the labor of thousands.
5: There it is, our failsafe device. Once. Completed. Plated. It could allow us to create a new Earth, <sighs> goddess above. I pray that I shall never be forced to use it. Ugh.
1: Harlequin, what have you done? Evangeline pushed her chair back from the table and buried her head in her hands. <sighs> it
5: just doesn't make sense. If he is working with the Rebellion,
1: why would he bring Macallan here? Since
5: she needed her. Maybe he's playing both sides against each other. As usual. <sighs> goddess. Maybe this is my fault. Maybe he's finally lashing out at me for what I did to him.
1: For forcing him into this life. We were so
5: in love.
7: Sometimes Sometimes I wonder wonder where where on earth you came came from. from.
1: Evangeline stared at the massive globe in her room. Tiny lights illuminated the locations of covert operatives she had stationed on the surface, as well as various immortal safe houses. She ran her hand across the contoured surface and felt her fingers rise slightly under the ridge of the Himalayas. The globe spun quietly on its tilted axis, while Evangeline stared at all the countries, all the cities she had visited and recruited her international community. My family,
5: for them I will not waver. I will lead them to salvation. I will heal the wounds man has inflicted and save us from the coming evil. If only we have enough time. Never
1: enough time. The globe finally stopped spinning and Evangeline's finger was resting on the country of Norway. My homeland, where I came from, and then she saw it, a tiny crack along the western coast of Norway. Evangeline let her finger run over it and found that the ultra-fine crack actually circled around most of the country's border. She pushed on it slightly and felt a tiny piece of the globe give way and pop out, falling into the interior of the globe. She stuck her finger inside the small hole and could feel a tiny piece of paper affixed just within it. Evangeline removed the small note and read the single sentence contained inside.
5: There are thieves in the temple.
1: You have been listening to The Leviathan Chronicles. The Leviathan Chronicles was written and created by Christoph Leputka. Produced by Robin Shaw. Produced and musical composition by Luke Allen. Directed by Nobi Nakanishi. For a full list of cast and crew, or to purchase the ad-free Director's Cut, go to leviathanchronicles.com. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. To discover more podcasts set in the Leviathan universe, go to leviathanaudiproductions.com, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Leviathan Audio Production.